Book Twenty One, Chapters Twenty Five through Twenty Seven of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by Saint Augustine of Hippo, Book Twenty One. Chapter Twenty Five. But let us now reply to those who promise deliverance from eternal fire, not to the devil and his angels, as neither do they of whom we have been speaking, nor even to all men whatever, but only to those who have been washed by the baptism of Christ, and have become partakers of his body and blood, no matter how they have lived, no matter what heresy or impiety they have fallen into but they are contradicted by the apostle where he says now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variances emulations wrath strife heresies envyings drunkenness revelings and the like of the which i tell you before as i have also told you in time past for they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god certainly this sentence of the apostle is false if such persons shall be delivered after any lapse of time and shall then inherit the kingdom of god but as it is not false they shall certainly never inherit the kingdom of god and if they shall never enter that kingdom then they shall always be retained in eternal punishment for there is no middle place where he may live unpunished who has not been admitted into that kingdom and therefore we may reasonably inquire how we are to understand these words of the lord jesus this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die i am the living bread which came down from heaven if any man eat of this bread he shall live for ever and those indeed whom we are now answering are refuted in their interpretation of this passage by those whom we are shortly to answer and who do not promise this deliverance to all who have received the sacraments of baptism and the lord's body but only to the catholics however wickedly they live for these say they have eaten the lord's body not only sacramentally but really being constituted members of his body of which the apostle says we being many are one bread one body he then who is in the unity of christ's body that is to say in the christian membership of which body the faithful have been wont to receive the sacrament at the altar that man is truly said to eat the body and drink the blood of christ and consequently heretics and schismatics being separate from the unity of this body are able to receive the same sacrament but with no profit to themselves nay rather to their own hurt so that they are rather more severely judged than liberated after some time for they are not in that bond of peace which is symbolized by that sacrament 
But again, even those who sufficiently understand that he who is not in the body of Christ cannot be said to eat the body of Christ, are in error when they promise liberation from the fire of eternal punishment to persons who fall away from the unity of that body into heresy, or even into heathenish superstition. For, in the first place, they ought to consider how intolerable it is, and how discordant with sound doctrine, to suppose that many indeed, or almost all, who have forsaken the church Catholic, and have originated impious heresies, and become heresiarchs, should enjoy a destiny superior to those who never were Catholics, but have fallen into the snares of these others. That is to say, if the fact of their Catholic baptism and original reception of the sacrament of the body of Christ in the true body of Christ is sufficient to deliver these heresiarchs from eternal punishment. For certainly he who deserts the faith, and from a deserter becomes an assailant, is worse than he who has not deserted the faith he never held. And in the second place they are contradicted by the apostle, who, after enumerating the works of the flesh, says with reference to heresies, They who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And therefore neither ought such persons as lead an abandoned and damnable life to be confident of salvation, though they persevere to the end in the communion of the church Catholic, and comfort themselves with the words, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. By the iniquity of their life they abandon that very righteousness of life which Christ is to them, whether it be by fornication, or by perpetrating in their body the other uncleannesses which the apostle would not so much as mention, or by a dissolute luxury, or by doing any one of those things of which he says, They who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Consequently, they who do such things shall not exist anywhere but in eternal punishment, since they cannot be in the kingdom of God. For, while they continue in such things to the very end of life, they cannot be said to abide in Christ to the end, for to abide in him is to abide in the faith of Christ. And this faith, according to the apostle's definition of it, worketh by love and love, as he elsewhere says, worketh no evil. Neither can these persons be said to eat the body of Christ, for they cannot even be reckoned among his members. For, not to mention other reasons, they cannot be at once the members of Christ and the members of a harlot. In fine, he himself, when he says, He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him, shows what it is in reality, and not sacramentally, to eat his body, and drink his blood. For this is to dwell in Christ, that he also may dwell in us. So that it is as if he had said, He that dwelleth not in me, and in whom I do not dwell, let him not say or think that he eateth my body, or drinketh my blood. Accordingly, they who are not Christ's members do not dwell in him. And they who make themselves members of a harlot are not members of Christ, unless they have penitently abandoned that evil, and have returned to this good to be reconciled to it. Chapter 26 
But, say they, the Catholic Christians have Christ for a foundation, and they have not fallen away from union with him, no matter how depraved a life they have built on this foundation, as wood, hay, stubble. And accordingly the well-directed faith by which Christ is their foundation will suffice to deliver them some time from the continuance of that fire, though it be with loss, since those things they have built on it shall be burned." Let the Apostle James summarily reply to them, If any man say he has faith, and have not works, can faith save him? And who then is it, they ask, of whom the Apostle Paul says, But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire? Let us join them in their inquiry, and one thing is very certain, that it is not he of whom James speaks, else we should make the two apostles contradict one another, if the one says, Though a man's works be evil, his faith will save him as by fire, while the other says, If he have not good works, can his faith save him? We shall then ascertain who it is who can be saved by fire, if we first discover what it is to have Christ for a foundation. And this we may very readily learn from the image itself. In a building the foundation is first. Whoever then has Christ in his heart, so that no earthly or temporal things, not even those that are legitimate and allowed, are preferred to him, has Christ as a foundation. But if these things be preferred, then, even though a man seem to have faith in Christ, yet Christ is not the foundation to that man, and much more if he, in contempt of wholesome precepts, seek forbidden gratifications, is he clearly convicted of putting Christ not first, but last, since he has despised him as his ruler, and has preferred to fulfill his own wicked lusts, in contempt of Christ's commands and allowances. Accordingly, if any Christian man loves a harlot, and, attaching himself to her, becomes one body, he has not now Christ for a foundation. But if any one loves his own wife, and loves her as Christ would have him love her, who can doubt that he has Christ for a foundation? But if he loves her in the world's fashion, carnally, as the disease of lust prompts him, and as the Gentiles love who know not God, even this the Apostle, or rather Christ by the Apostle, allows as a venial fault. And therefore even such a man may have Christ for a foundation. For so long as he does not prefer such an affection or pleasure to Christ, Christ is his foundation, though on it he builds wood, hay, stubble, and therefore he shall be saved as by fire. For the fire of affliction shall burn such luxurious pleasures and earthly loves, though they be not damnable, because enjoyed in lawful wedlock. And of this fire the fuel is bereavement, and all those calamities which consume these joys. Consequently the superstructure will be lost to him who has built it, for he shall not retain it, but shall be agonized by the loss of those things in the enjoyment of which he found pleasure. 
but by this fire he shall be saved through virtue of the foundation, because even if a precursor demanded whether he would retain Christ or these things, he would prefer Christ. Would you hear, in the apostle's own words, who he is who builds on the foundation gold, silver, precious stones? He that is unmarried, he says, careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Would you hear who he is that buildeth wood, hay, stubble? But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, the day, no doubt, of tribulation, because, says he, it shall be revealed by fire. He calls tribulation fire, just as it is elsewhere said, the furnace proves the vessels of the potter, and the trial of affliction righteous men. And, the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, for a man's care for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, abides, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward, that is, he shall reap the fruit of his care. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, for what he loved he shall not retain, but he himself shall be saved, for no tribulation shall have moved him from that stable foundation, yet so as by fire, for that which he possessed with the sweetness of love, he does not lose without the sharp sting of pain. Here, then, as seems to me, we have a fire which destroys neither, but enriches the one, brings loss to the other, proves both. But if this passage of Corinthians is to interpret that fire, of which the Lord shall say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, so that among these we are to believe there are those who build on the foundation wood, hay, stubble, and that they, through virtue of the good foundation, shall after a time be liberated from the fire that is the award of their evil deserts, what then shall we think of those on the right hand, to whom it shall be said, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, unless that they are those who have built on the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, but if the fire of which our Lord speaks is the same as that of which the Apostle says, yet so as by fire, then both, that is to say, both those on the right as well as those on the left, are to be cast into it. For that fire is to try both, since it is said, For the day of the Lord shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If, therefore, the fire shall try both, in order that if any man's work abide, that is, if the superstructure be not consumed by the fire, he may receive a reward, and that if his work is burned, he may suffer loss, certainly that fire is not the eternal fire itself. For into this latter fire only those on the left hand shall be cast, and that with final and everlasting doom but that former fire proves those on the right hand. 
but some of them it so proves that it does not burn and consume the structure which is found to have been built by them on Christ as the foundation, while others of them it proves in another fashion so as to burn what they have built up, and thus cause them to suffer loss, while they themselves are saved because they have retained Christ, who was laid as their sure foundation, and have loved him above all. But if they are saved, then certainly they shall stand at the right hand, and shall with the rest hear the sentence, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, and not at the left hand, where those shall be who shall not be saved, and shall therefore hear the doom, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. For from that fire no man shall be saved, because they all shall go away into eternal punishment, where their worms shall not die, nor their fire be quenched, in which they shall be tormented day and night for ever. But if it be said, that in the interval of time between the death of this body, and that last day of judgment and retribution which shall follow the resurrection, the bodies of the dead shall be exposed to a fire of such a nature, that it shall not affect those who have not, in this life, indulged in such pleasures and pursuits as shall be consumed like wood, hay, stubble, but shall affect those others who have carried with them structures of that kind, if it be said that such worldliness, being venial, shall be consumed in the fire of tribulation, either here only, or here and hereafter both, or here that it may not be hereafter, this I do not contradict, because possibly it is true. For perhaps even the death of the body is itself a part of this tribulation, for it results from the first transgression, so that the time which follows death takes its colour, in each case, from the nature of the man's building. The persecutions, too, which have crowned the martyrs, and which Christians of all kinds suffer, try both buildings like a fire, consuming some, along with the builders themselves, if Christ is not found in them as their foundation, while others they consume without the builders, because Christ is found in them, and they are saved, though with loss, and other buildings still they do not consume because such materials as abide for ever are found in them. In the end of the world there shall be, in the time of Antichrist, tribulation such as has never been before. How many edifices there shall then be, of gold or of hay, built on the best foundation, Christ Jesus, which that fire shall prove, bringing joy to some, loss to others, but without destroying either sort, because of this stable foundation. But whosoever prefers, I do not say his wife, with whom he lives for carnal pleasure, but any of those relatives who afford no delight of such a kind, and whom it is right to love, whosoever prefers these to Christ, and loves them after a human and carnal fashion, has not Christ as a foundation, and will therefore not be saved by fire, nor indeed at all. For he shall not possibly dwell with the Saviour, who says very explicitly concerning this very matter, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
but he who loves his relations carnally, and yet so that he does not prefer them to Christ, but would rather want them than Christ, if he were put to the proof, shall be saved by fire, because it is necessary that by the loss of these relations he suffer pain in proportion to his love. And he who loves father, mother, sons, daughters, according to Christ, so that he aids them in obtaining his kingdom and cleaving to him, or loves them because they are members of Christ, God forbid that this love should be consumed as wood, hay, stubble, and not rather be reckoned a structure of gold, silver, precious stones. For how can a man love those more than Christ, whom he loves only for Christ's sake? Chapter 27 It remains to reply to those who maintain that those only shall burn in eternal fire who neglect alms-deeds proportioned to their sins, resting this opinion on the words of the Apostle James, He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. Therefore they say, He that hath showed mercy, though he has not reformed his dissolute conduct, but has lived wickedly and iniquitously even while abounding in alms, shall have a merciful judgment, so that he shall either be not condemned at all, or shall be delivered from final judgment after a time. And for the same reason they suppose that Christ will discriminate between those on the right hand and those on the left, and will send the one party into his kingdom, the other into eternal punishment, on the sole ground of their attention to, or neglect of, works of charity. Moreover, they endeavour to use the prayer which the Lord himself taught as a proof and bulwark of their opinion, that daily sins which are never abandoned can be expiated through alms-deeds, no matter how offensive, or of what sort they be. For, say they, as there is no day on which Christians ought not to use this prayer, so there is no sin of any kind which, though committed every day, is not remitted when we say, Forgive us our debts. If we take care to fulfill what follows, as we forgive our debtors. For, they go on to say, the Lord does not say, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you your little daily sins, but will forgive you your sins. Therefore, be they of any kind or magnitude whatever, be they perpetrated daily and never abandoned or subdued in this life, they can be pardoned, they presume, through alms-deeds. But they are right to inculcate the giving of alms proportioned to past sins, for if they said that any kind of alms could obtain the divine pardon of great sins committed daily, and with habitual enormity, if they said that such sins could thus be daily remitted, they would see that their doctrine was absurd and ridiculous. For they would thus be driven to acknowledge that it were possible for a very wealthy man to buy absolution from murders, adulteries, and all manner of wickedness by paying a daily alms of ten paltry coins. And if it be most absurd and insane to make such an acknowledgment, and if we still ask what are those fitting alms of which even the forerunner of Christ said, 
bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, undoubtedly it will be found that they are not such as are done by men who undermine their life by daily enormities even to the very end. For they suppose that by giving to the poor a small fraction of the wealth they acquire by extortion and spoliation they can propitiate Christ, so that they may with impunity commit the most damnable sins in the persuasion that they have bought from him a license to transgress, or rather do by, a daily indulgence. And if they for one crime have distributed all their goods to Christ's needy members, that could profit them nothing unless they desisted from all similar actions, and attained charity which worketh no evil. He, therefore, who does alms-deeds proportioned to his sins, must first begin with himself. For it is not reasonable that a man who exercises charity towards his neighbor should not do so towards himself, since he hears the Lord saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and again, Have compassion on thy soul, and please God. He, then, who has not compassion on his own soul, that he may please God, how can he be said to do alms-deeds proportioned to his sins? To the same purpose is that written, He who is bad to himself, to whom can he be good? We ought, therefore, to do alms that we may be heard when we pray that our past sins may be forgiven, not that while we continue in them we may think to provide ourselves with a license for wickedness by alms-deeds. The reason, therefore, of our predicting that he will impute to those on his right hand the alms-deeds they have done, and charge those on his left with omitting the same, is that he may thus show the efficacy of charity for the deletion of past sins, not for impunity in their perpetual commission. And such persons, indeed, as decline to abandon their evil habits of life for a better course, cannot be said to do charitable deeds. For this is the purport of the saying, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. He shows them that they do not perform charitable actions even when they think they are doing so. For if they gave bread to a hungering Christian because he is a Christian, assuredly they would not deny to themselves the bread of righteousness, that is, Christ himself. For God considers not the person to whom the gift is made, but the spirit in which it is made. He, therefore, who loves Christ in a Christian, extends alms to him in the same spirit in which he draws near to Christ, not in that spirit which would abandon Christ, if it could do so with impunity. For in proportion as a man loves what Christ disapproves, does he himself abandon Christ. For what does it profit a man that he is baptized, if he is not justified? Did not he who said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he shall not enter into the kingdom of God, say also, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why do many through fear of the first saying run to baptism, while few, through fear of the second, seek to be justified? As, therefore, it is not to his brother a man says, Thou fool, if, when he says it, he is indignant not at the brotherhood, but at the sin of the offender, for otherwise he were guilty of hell-fire, 
so he who extends charity to a Christian does not extend it to a Christian if he does not love Christ in him. Now he does not love Christ who refuses to be justified in him. Or again, if a man has been guilty of this sin of calling his brother fool, unjustly reviling him without any desire to remove his sin, his alms-deeds go a small way towards expiating this fault, unless he adds to this the remedy of reconciliation which the same passage enjoins. For it is there said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Just so, it is a small matter to do alms-deeds, no matter how great they be, for any sin, so long as the offender continues in the practice of sin." Then, as to the daily prayer which the Lord himself taught, and which is therefore called the Lord's Prayer, it obliterates indeed the sins of the day, when day by day we say, Forgive us our debts, and when we not only say, but act out that which follows, as we forgive our debtors, but we utter this petition because sins have been committed, and not that they may be. For by it our Saviour designed to teach us that, however righteously we live in this life of infirmity and darkness, we still commit sins for the remission of which we ought to pray, while we must pardon those who sin against us, that we ourselves also may be pardoned. The Lord, then, did not utter the words, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you your trespasses, in order that we might contract from this petition such confidence as should enable us to sin securely from day to day, either putting ourselves above the fear of human laws, or craftily deceiving men concerning our conduct, but in order that we might thus learn not to suppose that we are without sins, even though we should be free from crimes, as also God admonished the priests of the old law to this same effect regarding their sacrifices, which he commanded them to offer first for their own sins, and then for the sins of the people. For even the very words of so great a master and lord are to be intently considered. For he does not say, If ye forgive men their sins, your father will also forgive you your sins, no matter of what sort they be. But he says, Your sins. For it was a daily prayer he was teaching, and it was certainly to disciples already justified he was speaking. What then does he mean by your sins, but those sins from which not even you who are justified and sanctified can be free? While then those who seek occasion from this petition to indulge in habitual sin maintain that the Lord meant to include great sins, because he did not say, He will forgive you your small sins, but your sins, we, on the other hand, taking into account the character of the persons he was addressing, cannot see our way to interpret the expression, Your sins, of anything but small sins, because such persons are no longer guilty of great sins. 
Nevertheless, not even great sins themselves, sins from which we must flee with a total reformation of life, are forgiven to those who pray, unless they observe the appended precept, as ye also forgive your debtors. For if the very small sins which attach even to the life of the righteous be not remitted without that condition, how much further from obtaining indulgence shall those be who are involved in many great crimes, if, while they cease from perpetrating such enormities, they still inexorably refuse to remit any debt incurred to themselves, since the Lord says, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. For this is the purport of the saying of the Apostle James also, He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. For we should remember that servant whose debt of ten thousand talents his lord cancelled, but afterwards ordered him to pay up, because the servant himself had no pity for his fellow-servant who owed him an hundred pence. The words which the Apostle James subjoins, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment, find their application among those who are the children of the promise and vessels of mercy. For even those righteous men who have lived with such holiness that they receive into the eternal habitations others also who have won their friendship with the mammon of unrighteousness, became such only through the merciful deliverance of him who justifies the ungodly, imputing to him a reward according to grace, not according to debt. For among this number is the apostle, who says, I obtained mercy to be faithful. But it must be admitted that those who are thus received into the eternal habitations are not of such a character that their own life would suffice to rescue them without the aid of the saints, and consequently in their case especially does mercy rejoice against judgment. And yet we are not on this account to suppose that every abandoned profligate who has made no amendment of his life is to be received into the eternal habitations if only he has assisted the saints with the mammon of unrighteousness, that is to say, with money or wealth which has been unjustly acquired, or, if rightfully acquired, is yet not the true riches, but only what iniquity counts riches, because it knows not the true riches in which those persons abound, who even receive others also into eternal habitations. There is then a certain kind of life which is neither on the one hand so bad that those who adopt it are not helped towards the kingdom of heaven by any bountiful almsgiving by which they may relieve the want of the saints, and make friends who could receive them into eternal habitations, nor on the other hand so good that it of itself suffices to win for them that great blessedness, if they do not obtain mercy through the merits of those whom they have made their friends. And I frequently wonder that even Virgil should give expression to this sentence of the Lord, in which he says, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that they may receive you into everlasting habitations. And this very similar saying, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. 
for when that poet described the Elysian fields, in which they supposed that the souls of the blessed dwell, he placed there not only those who had been able by their own merit to reach that abode, but added, and they who grateful memory won by services to others done, that is, they who had served others, and thereby merited to be remembered by them just as if they used the expression so common in christian lips where some humble person commends himself to one of the saints and says remember me and secures that he do so by deserving well at his hand but what that kind of life we have been speaking of is and what those sins are which prevent a man from winning the kingdom of god by himself but yet permit him to avail himself of the merits of the saints it is very difficult to ascertain very perilous to define for my own part in spite of all investigation i have been up to the present hour unable to discover this and possibly it is hidden from us lest we should become careless in avoiding such sins and so cease to make progress but if it were known what these sins are which though they continue and be not abandoned for a higher life do yet not prevent us from seeking and hoping for the intercession of the saints human sloth would presumptuously wrap itself in these sins and would take no steps to be disentangled from such wrappings by the deft energy of any virtue but would only desire to be rescued by the merits of other people whose friendship had been won by a bountiful use of the mammon of unrighteousness but now that we are left in ignorance of the precise nature of that iniquity which is venial even though it be persevered in certainly we are both more vigilant in our prayers and efforts for progress and more careful to secure with the mammon of unrighteousness friends for ourselves among the saints but this deliverance which is effected by one's own prayers or the intercession of holy men secures that a man be not cast into eternal fire but not that when once he has been cast into it he should after a time be rescued from it for even those who fancy that what is said of the good ground bringing forth abundant fruit some thirty some sixty some an hundredfold is to be referred to the saints so that in proportion to their merits some of them shall deliver thirty men some sixty some an hundred even those who maintain this are yet commonly inclined to suppose that this deliverance will take place at and not after the day of judgment under this impression some one who observed the unseemly folly with which men promise themselves impunity on the ground that all will be included in this method of deliverance is reported to have very happily remarked that we should rather endeavour to live so well that we shall be all found among the number of those who are to intercede for the liberation of others lest these should be so few in number that after they have delivered one thirty another sixty another a hundred there should still remain many who could not be delivered from punishment by their intercessions and among them every one who has vainly and rashly promised himself the fruit of another's labour but enough has been said in reply to those who acknowledge the authority of the same sacred scriptures as ourselves but who by a mistaken interpretation of them conceive of the future rather as they themselves wish than as the scriptures teach 
and, having given this reply, I now, according to promise, close this book. End of Book 21, Chapters 25-27 through 27. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org